You're listening to the Just Japan podcast. Well, hello, everybody. It is Kevin here, your host. For the Just Japan podcast, back with episode number two, and I can happily say that episode one、um, has been going well with you folks out there. A lot of people have been enjoying it to give me a lot of positive feedback. Just Japan is now available on the iTunes store, and it could also be downloaded from jellycast.com.、Uh, the links for those are both going to be in the show notes. That's something I will have from now on.、Um, if you go to busankevin.com, busankevin.com, there will be show notes for the latest episodes. So, any links,、um, for example, to the iTunes store, to jellycast.com, or if you don't have iTunes, you don't use iTunes, you can download、um, the track there. Now,、um, I will also be putting in, if, if I talk about any news articles, different stories, and also contact information for the guests that I have on the show. They'll all be in the show notes at busankevin.com. Okay, so、uh, episode one has been, like I said, going well. I've been sharing it on my social media sites, and a lot of people have been sharing it on Twitter, and that's what really surprised me. One thing is that a lot of people who I didn't even know、um, on Twitter,、uh, people who、um, maybe I wasn't following,、uh, and they weren't following me, or I wasn't aware that they were following me,、uh, were retweeting the links I put out on the weekend, and that was really great.、Um, so last weekend in Japan, saw quite a surprising amount of snow. Uh, of the weekend, last weekend on Saturday, Tokyo、um, basically got a record snowfall, almost 27 centimeters. And from what I read in Japan today, that was、uh, a 45 year record for the heaviest snowfall in Tokyo. And sadly, though, with record snowfalls, often come a lot of tragedy. And apparently, as many as 11 people in Japan died over the weekend in snow related accidents, most of them being traffic accidents. Also, more than 1,200 people were injured. Most of that had to do with slipping and falling and people getting injured while cleaning snow off the roofs of their houses and buildings. I guess、uh, when you have people who are not used to driving in wintry, snowy conditions, it's always treacherous, especially when your cars don't have winter tires. And again, you know, I, I come from Canada and I, I grew up in a very snowy region and I had a lot of experience driving in snow. And you really have to be cautious and really know what you're doing to drive carefully and safely in snow. But Uh, where I live in Kobe, Japan, we received nothing, no snow at all.、Um, it just rained heavily、uh, for most of the day on Saturday. And that was all.、Um, not too far away from where I live, some of my friends were showing pictures on Facebook where just even a few kilometers down the road, basically, they had snow, which was a little disappointing for me because I would have loved to have been able to go out in the snow. And,、um, you know, my son, after getting to go to Canada、uh, at Christmas time and really experiencing a snowy Christmas, would have loved to have played in the snow as well. So、um, today, I also want to make one little correction. In episode one, I did mention Kobe being known, of course, for the tragic Kobe earthquake. Now, I mentioned that it happened in 1996. I was wrong. It happened in 1995. So, a little correction there. The Kobe earthquake, or the great Honshin Owaji earthquake, happened in 1995. So, this week's episode, I talked to a YouTuber named Jason. Uh, from the My Argonauts channel. And the topic of this week's show is about life in rural Japan. Because often, when people are searching for information about Japan, they want to come to Japan to live, to travel, to work. When you go to YouTube or Google and you type in many of the blogs and most, the majority of, of the YouTube channels, the video bloggers、um, based in Japan, are coming out of the Tokyo metropolitan area. And 
while of course absolutely fascinating, in a future episode I will be talking about life in Tokyo, um, you know, life in rural Japan is very different than life in a big city like Tokyo, or even a big city like where I live, uh, Kobe. Kobe's got a million and a half people. Um, now, I wanted to talk about life in rural Japan and working as a teacher in rural Japan. And of course, I don't have any experience because the entire time I've lived in Japan, I've lived in the city of Kobe. I've only been in the countryside to visit, basically traveling or camping, things like that. So I asked Jason to come on to the podcast because he has basically been in Japan since 2004 and his entire experience in Japan while working as a JET, as a teacher in public schools, and now as a university instructor, have been in the countryside. So who better to tell you about what it's like in the countryside than someone who lives in the countryside? So here we go to the interview with Jason. Please hang up and try again. So hey, everyone. Uh, it's Kevin here with the Just Japan podcast, episode number two. And today I'm going to be talking to Jason, who is uh, a teacher living in Japan. And he's also known on YouTube's, YouTube's, on the YouTube's, on YouTube, as My Argonauts. And Jason has been in Japan for several years working and teaching. And the reason why I have Jason on tonight is because I wanted to talk about life in rural Japan. And more specifically, teaching in rural Japan. Because um, a lot of the YouTubers you see um, talking about teaching, uh, a lot of the podcasts, which there aren't actually that many of, but the podcasts you listen to, they tend to be very kind of Tokyo-centric or Osaka-centric or more kind of big city-centric. Hmm. And you definitely have, I think, probably the majority of YouTubers out there, the, the J-vloggers, the vloggers making videos about teaching, living in Japan. They're kind of it's, – it's all about what it's like in the big city. But from what I gather, um, living outside of the big city can be quite different. Now, I live in a city, uh, Kobe, which is about a million and a half people. And I've lived here my entire time in Japan. And I honestly have to admit, aside from visiting the countryside and visiting rural areas, well, I don't really know much. So, uh, Jason, thank you for joining us tonight. I'm very happy to be here. And um, I'm just going to start off um, by, Jason, can you um, maybe just very quickly in a nutshell, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do in Japan? Sure. So um, I came to Japan in 2004. I came as a member of the JET program. JET is Japan Exchange and Teaching Program. A lot of uh, people from native English-speaking countries uh, come to Japan that way. It's a job you can get after you graduate from college, and uh, you get paid to teach in Japanese public schools, not language schools, but actual like junior high schools and elementary schools and high schools. Um, as you said, uh, a lot of people, when they think of Japan, think of the bright lights of Tokyo or maybe um, Osaka or your city, Kobe. But 85% uh, or so of jets get placed in places that are considered rural or semi-rural. And that was certainly true for me. In 2004, I ended up in a Shimane prefecture, which is the <laughs> – um, it's kind of become a joke recently, but it's the um, – Kind of, it's the Idaho of Japan. It's the less well-known, least well-known place. A lot of old people. Um, uh, not a lot to do. It's definitely what in Japanese they call Inaka, the countryside. Mm. And uh, I fell in love with it. 
even though I'm from a big city in America, I'm from California, San Diego is my hometown. Um, I fell in love with my small town and stayed there for five years. Went back to America for a year, decided I missed Japan too much, came back again. And now I'm working in another rural area at a university now. Um, and it's a small university, it's a thousand kids. Um, so very, there's high schools bigger than my university. And, uh, but I, I, I love it still. I, I do think maybe, you know, if I stay till 2020, now the joke a lot among a lot of Gaikokujin is, hey, we've got to stay in Japan until 2020, until the Olympics come to Tokyo. So if I stay here that long, I'd be 50 years old. And I think in some of those years, I'd want to be like you. I'd want to experience the other Japan, the urban Japan, the um, more big city, lots to do, lots of young people Japan. Yeah. Um, but for now, I'm content. Nice, nice. Um, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna just kind of jump back a little bit. You said yeah, you came yeah. to Japan in 2004. What now? And you also mentioned that you came on the Jet program. And I think a lot of the people who who are listening to this podcast are interested in coming to Japan to teach. And a lot of people might be familiar with the Jet program or have researched it. Um, but initially, what what first brought you here? Like when I think about myself, for example, my my initial jump to Asia was in 2002 and I went to Korea and that was right. literally to kind of quench a wanderlust and it was it was very kind of unplanned to be honest it was like literally uh, I was working in a job where I had a lot of stress back in Canada and I literally I had a roommate who who went out to a party one night he had two roommates and he came home drunk and I was like, you know, where, where, where were you tonight? What was going on? He's like, ah, is that a going away party? Yeah. I'm like, oh, going away party for you. Well, my friend's going to Korea to teach English. And I was like, going to Korea Korea to teach English? What's all that about? And he's like, yeah, he's going there. And, like, he's going to make all this money. And they give him a free airplane ticket. And they give him a free apartment and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, really? Hmm. Free airplane ticket, free apartment. He's going to make this much money? I guess the guy's been saying this at the party. And I'm like, Really? So the next day I said, can you um, find out from your friend how he got this job? And, and mm -hmm. my roommate was like, well, came to me back, back to me a couple of days later. Well, he, there was a recruiter who hired him. I'm like, a recruiter? Really? Can you give me that guy's email address? And then I got the email address and we started chatting back and forth. And like two months later, I'm in Korea. Wow. I'd never, never dreamed by any means. I mean, my limit of my, my knowledge of Korea was, you know, what I saw in MASH. <laughs> right. Pierce and Trapper John, you know what I mean? Right. And I don't think that's really an accurate, well, no, I know that's not an accurate no. choice. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, so kind of that was how I ended up there. But I, 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 a lot of the people who are probably listening to a show like this maybe have been thinking about coming to Japan for quite a while or have had quite a, you know, an established interest. Right. How about you? What, what brought you well, here? I think, I think, you know, one thing we should say just to – uh, to our own horns a little bit is when you came in 20, uh, 2002 and I came in 2004, there was no YouTube. The no, there was not. In Wikipedia, the information you could find out about what we now do was very, very scant. Oh, yes. And uh, uh, luckily now there are lots of good information on the web about, you know, coming and doing what we do or did. Yeah. And uh, so people now have a huge advantage. But um, I basically, when I was young, um, when I was around 10, there was a big mini series on American television called Shogun. Oh, yeah, Richard Chamberlain. 
Yeah, based on a James Clavell novel, which yeah. I subsequently read. That stoked my interest in Japan in general. And then when I got to college, I actually did think about coming over to teach. There was no JET program, though. I, I graduated high school in 1987. Okay. And oddly enough, the very first year of the JET program would have been the year I graduated from college had I stayed in college. But I didn't. Um, I had a really interesting 20s. And uh, I didn't really, really think about it again until I was in my 30s. And most Jets that come over are in their 20s. Mm. Uh, but I heard about the program in my senior year of college, my second time through when I was 34. Okay. And um, kind of, again, like you, had no, hadn't even thought about like moving to a different country or anything, but had wanted to be a teacher. I, I was going to get my degree, and I did get my degree in American history. And uh, I just thought I'd be a high school teacher. But this opportunity came up, and I said, well, I'll go for a year. I'll go for two years, you know. Um, I think a lot of us do that. Um, you <laughs> that had, was my plan. You had Molly on the other night, and he's, you know, he was the same way. Uh, and, uh, you know, you come over, and I knew that if I liked it, I would stay. At the time, JET was a limit of three years. Okay. And that changed while I was on the program. Um, and so I stayed the maximum five and I just, you know, ended up loving it. And now I'm back again. So, uh, yeah, there was nothing huge pushing me here, but just always have had kind of an interest in Japan, but not uh, so many people that I talk to now that are in their teens or twenties, their interest is from a totally different source. And I don't know if you're really familiar with it, but it's anime and manga, which Really is yeah. To be honest, I mean, I of course I know what anime and manga are, yeah. but I'm not um, I'm not I'm not well versed in it. I, and I honestly, and that's something that a lot of people who have followed me on YouTube for years or my blogs or this or yeah. that have always been. I wouldn't say surprised, but I always just say that I've got nothing against it. This is not my my cup of tea. It's definitely a fairyland here. If you're into that, there's so much that you. I mean, granted, you have to be able to speak and or or I should say listen and read Japanese. None of it's yeah. in English. Um, but, you know, the bookstores and the video stores are full, full, full of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's everywhere. It's, it's everywhere. And uh, so if you like that, it's certainly fun. But that had nothing to do with me wanting to come. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, me as well. I mean, the the uh, I, I I the reason why I'm in Japan is just absolute fluke. Um, yeah. <laughs> my wife is Japanese, and I met her in Korea. Right, right. And and we got we fell in love, got engaged, blah 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 blah. And she then then she moved to Canada, and then we came to Japan. But um, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay, well, so at the end of the day, it kind of it kind of sounds in a way, you coming here was kind of like me going to Asia, my first well time, Korea. Not right. really something that you know I'd been thinking about for a long time or planning so much. Now, when you had your recruiter, were you able to pick where you went in Korea or did he say this is where you're going? He pretty much said this is where you're going. I was like, you know, honestly, I'm like, I don't know where anything is. I mean, I, I had no, I mean, I knew, I knew, I, I knew Seoul, of course, from the 1988 yeah. Olympics. And as a Canadian with the humiliation of Ben Johnson, the world's fastest man and the steroid scandal, you know, we all know where Seoul was. Um, but I was actually, well, he, I mean, he said basically, you know, you'll be living in a bedroom community attached to Seoul, which I did. Oh, when nice. I was, all right, cool. So did I was actually, not, I was actually in a, in a pretty developed area. There just weren't any foreigners there though. 
did you travel around Korea a little bit? Is because Korea is a much smaller country. Oh yeah, yeah, I did. It's it's than Japan. So yes. did you find it to be very similar everywhere you went, or were there parts where you're like, wow, that's really different than where I live? Uh, for me, it was kind of very black and white. I suppose almost it was a countryside and city. Uh huh. Okay. Um. It is much smaller, so I think there probably isn't as much of a of the the cultural find in a large country geographic. Um, I mean, and and when I when I when I left the big cities, I mean, I didn't really spend much time in the countryside. It was more like passing through, spending right. a couple of days or a weekend here or a weekend there. Um, so you know, it's always hard to compare. But right. at the end of the day, like I, I'm. I'm Inakajian. I mean, myself from Canada. I mean, I grew up in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. I oh, come from a fishing town, a little town called Lewisburg, that probably at its peak probably had about 1,200 people. Wow. And probably now because of uh, when when our, the fisheries collapsed in the 1990s and most of the young people went out to the, the west to work in the oil fields and the oil patch, I'm, I'm assuming now there's probably about 800 people or so, 900 people there now maybe. Yeah. No, that's a lot of. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say when I go back to Canada now, I don't go back there. My family all moved oh. towards more towards central Canada, but that's where I grew up. I mean, that's where I was like literally from the time I was born until I was, you know, finished university. That's where I lived. Mm -hmm. Um. So, so I understand the differences between, you know, country mouse, city mouse. Right. I am a country mouse. When you apply to Jet, um, a little bit like your recruiter. They pretty much tell you where you're going to go. You can you can make some suggestions about where you'd like to go, but ultimately they pick. And uh, life in Hokkaido, Japan, is very different than life in Okinawa, Japan. Oh, <laughs> and we're both on the main island called Honshu. Mm. Um, and so I I suggest if people are looking into living in Japan, they do their research and know a little bit about where they might end up because. It really, you know, it really can impact your day-to-day -day and, and how you feel and, you know, what you have access to, etc. And, uh, you know, basically, there's a lot of Gaikokujin. I don't know when you walk around Kobe if you see a lot of other foreigners. Oh, absolutely. You do. A lot. And so for that reason alone is probably one of the reasons they don't send as many jets to big urban areas. There's never been jets in Tokyo, for example. They send Kobe, Kobe actually is a Kobe is actually an anomaly with the jet program. Um, Kobe City actually has a contract with the jet program. Oh, that's great. I think there's yeah. like 90, 90 to 100 jets that live in Kobe City. Okay. A lot of them actually live like close to me, like in my neighborhood. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah they they really they they tend to send us out to the rural areas because that's where we're needed. That's where the kids haven't mm -hmm. had bump into, you know, a foreigner on, on the train station platform or at the grocery store. Um, you know, you have kids that'll just stare at you because they might not have ever seen yeah, yeah. a really, really, you know, different looking person ever in their life. And, uh, but that's going to change a little bit. Of course, with the Olympics coming in 2020, they do want to beef up quote unquote, uh, English education. And they are thinking of hiring a lot more, foreign teachers, um, either through JET or through other means, um, in places like Tokyo, et cetera, all over Japan. Yeah. So, um, but, but, 
you know, if, if you want to come and you want to come through Jet, be prepared to probably end up somewhere less uh, nightlife glamorous than Tokyo. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Well, there we go. That's a, a couple of nice segues there, or one nice segue. Um, I first wanted to mention, well, just, okay, um, you are from San Diego. Uh, that's right. a big city, you know, big city, very famous city yeah. in, in, in California, in the United States. Um, how would you, now you've been living in, in, in rural Japan your entire time. Right. Uh, in Japan. And, but, and I, I've met you actually in person uh, right. several yeah. times when you've come up to Kobe and visited. Yeah. What would you say are some of the challenges a foreigner may face? Now, you've already mentioned kind of alluding to like the kids kind of staring at you could be, due to kind of the not, not, not being used to seeing, you know, um, you know, different looking faces. Well, but in general, even, you know, more, not just that, but like, for, for example, like amenities, this and that, what are, what are some of the challenges someone might face moving into rural Japan? Um, well, I think one of the first things would be, and this is probably true for Kobe, you know, as well, is you're going to be dropped off, um, after a few days of orientation, if you choose jet, um, and it's going to be Japanese 24 seven. Um, you know, the television is going to be in Japanese. You're probably not going to have CNN on your cable yet. Um, you know, luckily nowadays, you know, everybody has the Internet, so you can immediately plug in perhaps um, and get Wi-Fi started and, and be, you know, speaking to people in English. But um, when I came in 2004, uh, you know, it was th that was a shock. That was a culture shock. Um, you, you can study it, you know, before you come. Um, and think maybe you're at a certain level, but when you actually get here and everyone's talking in natural speed and all the signs and newspapers are in this strange kanji, um, it's, it's, a, it's a smack in the face. Um, and uh, unlike, say, if you live in Tokyo, um, you know, you can turn around and maybe see another foreign face and go, oh, okay, maybe I can ask them you know, or something, um, there are no other foreigners around. Um, the only other foreigners anywhere near to me were other jets. And uh, they were all, you know, somewhat far away. I was the only jet in my village, I guess if you want to call it my town, um, which is only famous and known because it has a very, very famous Shinto shrine in the town. Um, what was it, Izumi? Izumo, Izumo Taisha Shrine. Izumo. Right? Sorry, 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 sorry. Oh, yeah. that's okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that that is a big adjustment. Um, I, You know, I joke about this a lot, and, um, you know, you can probably back me up on this, but it, I don't know how multiracial where you were from in Canada is, but I lived in San Francisco, San Diego. I mean, you see black people, white people, Latino people, Asian people. You know, when you first come and every other single person is Japanese, it, yeah. it's, it's very strange at first. And you forget sometimes that you're the different looking person because out of your eyes, everybody looks the same. And you forget that you don't. Um, so, yeah. yeah. When you're, when you're walking into the grocery store and, and people just stop and literally turn their heads and just stare as you, as you walk past, you, you have to realize it's not because you're dressed badly or you, you know, you have bad hair day. It's just because, you know, it's like, wow, who is that person? You know? Yeah. They're not doing it to be mean. They're not no. doing it to be malicious. No. They just literally 
they're just being shell shocked in a way almost. <laughs> literally, they're just like, oh wow. I mean, for uh, what I'm assuming, and I, and I mean, I've never really lived in the Inaka per se, mm. but when I lived, when I first moved to Korea, I lived in a, a satellite city of Seoul, mm. and there weren't very many foreigners at that point. There were yeah. very few. Um, there was that city probably had about 500,000 people, and literally. There was like one gaijin bar, or Weiguk bar, we called it, Weiguk in Korean. And there was, oh gosh, I don't know. I mean, I 50 to 80 foreigners in the entire city. Wow. Teachers. I mean, like, I mean, like, and there was no, obviously no social media at that point. We had email. Um, most foreigners didn't have even cell phones because you couldn't get one at that point when I first got there. Wow. If you were a foreigner, you couldn't get a phone. They wouldn't sell you one. Wow. So if you saw another foreigner, you were like waving across the like, hello. You like literally like run across like four lanes of traffic or eight lanes of traffic, <laughs> traffic just to like give your email address to that other foreigner. Like email me. Here's my landline number. <laughs> let's like let's meet up sometime and go for a beer or something. I um, mean, my Ismo, the larger city that Taisha was part of, we probably had about twenty foreigners total, and almost all of them were jets. Now, when I say foreigner, I should caveat that with there are, of course, Chinese and Koreans here who are foreigners, and they're not Japanese. But, um, again, not so much in the really rural areas. Um, they tend to be in the urban areas where they can get jobs. And, of course, to a certain extent, they blend a little bit more. And so I'm, when I say foreigner, I should point out that I really mean native English-speaking foreigner. I, I suppose, yeah, that's it. I mean, there's a lot of – I mean, there are so many foreigners in Japan. There's a right. foreign population in Japan, and, and a lot of the foreign populations have their own communities. I mean, you right. have uh, the, the massive Brazilian community, right. uh, massive Korean community, uh, like the Chinese, yeah. you know, Nigerian community. Um, but a lot of the communities kind of – so I guess for the sake of – yeah, what we're talking about is kind of the, the native English-speaking people who might be coming here teaching, working in kind of language-related industries, that kind of thing. Right. Um, and I've heard a statistic that other than the U.S. military, who, you know, obviously there's a lot of military guys here stationed here in Okinawa on the Air Force bases. Um, if you take those Americans out, the largest group of affiliated Americans who have a common tie are Jets. Oh, okay. Um, so, you know, there's like 2,000, 2,500 of us uh, at any given time in Japan. You know, they come and they go, but they're usually replaced if they leave. Um, so I say us. I'm no longer a Jet, but, uh, you know, I'm an alumni, I guess, now. And uh, so, yeah, so there are a lot of Americans here teaching in general, um, not just with JET, but it's certainly a huge uh, door into the country for a lot of people that want to come here and work. Yeah. And just by the way, I'm just going to pop this in here, and this has been a topic that's come up many times in videos. Um, you don't have to be a native English speaker to teach English in Japan. Mm. Just so you know, we're, we're talking about that. We're mentioning native, being a native English speaker. Yeah. Um, but um, I've worked um, – uh, I've worked at international schools during my time here. Currently, I'm working for a very large uh, board of education as an ALT um, for the next few months, and then I'm moving back into international teaching. But right. uh, I, I've actually had my, my first taste of it um, 
you know, um, being an ALT. And uh, I work with people from Jamaica. Well, actually, actually, if you're from Jamaica, obviously you are. But, uh, you know, people, people, people are from Ghana, the Philippines. Um, outside of that, I've worked with, with people from, like, in international schools, I've worked with people from Sweden. I've worked for, with people from Thailand, mm. um, you know, who had stellar English skills, university degrees, higher education, you know, yeah. great teachers. So just so well, you know, I just want to throw that out there. You don't have to be a native English teacher to teach in Japan. And they let, you know, they let Canadians teach, which... They let us. There you go, the time. What's this about? So, Jason, I'm, I'm curious. Um, we, we've talked a little bit about, you know, you know, the challenges, this and that. I, yeah. I want to know about, first of all, it's kind of a small detail, but this is interesting, yeah. about driving in Japan, okay? okay. So, I'm, I'm a Canadian, and... Right. Which don't hold that against me. Um, and for all of you out there, don't hold that against me. We're nice people. Um, uh, we, uh, but you know, and I have a I have a driver's license in Canada. Okay. I got an international driver's license when I first came here, but I never use it. I've never driven. I've never needed to where oh. I live in Kobe. I live in I live pretty much in downtown Kobe. I've always worked on a major like JR rail line. Actually, every company I've worked for. Mm. I'm not allowed for insurance purposes to t- to drive. Yeah. Um, okay. And um, I work uh, the Where private school I worked for, international school, yeah. board of education. Where for now they're like, you're not allowed to drive. And uh, not just me, all the Japanese teachers, they're not allowed to drive either. We all have to take public transportation. Um, so I, I've never driven. So yeah. when you live in the country, do you gotta drive? You gotta drive. You basically gotta drive. Um, of course, you know, it, let's go back to my old hometown of Ismo. Um, some of the jets got placed in, quote-unquote, downtown Ismo, and they could probably bike, you know, bicycle mm-hmm. to their schools or even in some cases walk if, they were, if their housing was close, and then, of course, take the bus to a few. Um, I was in a situation where I was in one base junior high school, and then I had five elementary schools that I also visited on occasion. And some of them were, you know, one was in a fishing village and it only had 11 students in the whole school. Wow. One was up in the mountains above Taisha and it had about 35 kids. Wow. Um, the entire school. The entire school. The entire school yeah. had 11 kids. That 11, 11 children. Wow. Yeah, the graduating class was usually one or two. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. I absolutely had to drive. And I... Um, if you've seen my videos on YouTube, I'm a big guy. Um, I'm not very fit. And, uh, <clears throat> so I immediately didn't want to, and when you arrive, you know, you probably talked about this, the summer times are brutal here. Um, I didn't want a bicycle to work and be drenched in sweat. So I first got a scooter, um, because it was cheap and easy. The insurance was low and, I thought my international driver's license would cover me for the scooter because usually if you can drive a car, you're allowed to drive a scooter. But they actually made me go and get my Japanese driver's license right away. Oh, really? Okay. And the the difference, I think, is um, if you're from Canada, uh, we have it you easy. Might have a, you might have a very low accident rate, and therefore they maybe don't make you take the driving test. They only no, make you take, Canadians don't have to take the driving test. Yeah. It, I think there's also some more, more than just accident rate. I think it's got more to do with kind of um, more diplomatic back scratching. Mm, could be. 
So like, you in know. America doesn't have that, and yeah. we have probably more accidents. So um, we have to, as Americans, when you want to transfer and get an actual Japanese driver's license, you have to take a very easy but somewhat grammatically confusing 10-question written test, an eye test, and then actually sit in the car and drive around a closed course. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, there's some fees involved. It costs about $50 maybe. Um, but many, 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 many people fail their first time because it's not a point system. Like you miss two or three things, but you still get above 70%. It's you do one thing wrong, you fail. Mm. So I was lucky. I think the guy looked at me, looked at my age, knew I'd been driving for almost 20 years by the time I got here. I started driving when I was 16 and I applied for the license when I was 35 um, and just you know and I did the course fine I think I made one minor mistake uh, but he he passed me on my first try so I was lucky um, and then of course the big the big difference for Americans is adjusting to driving on the other side of the road Canadians too yeah <laughs> yeah but you can that very very quickly it, it really is on the wrong side of the car <laughs> and I, I should I should just Say, in addition to that, unlike Kobe, um, which I wouldn't want to drive in downtown Kobe, perhaps, because it's probably very hectic and confusing, Shimane is all one lane. Every, every, I mean, I'm not joking. Everywhere is one lane. We have toll road freeways that are one lane. Everywhere oh, really? you go is one lane. You'll never drive where, like, cars are next to you going in the same direction. So... It really isn't that hard to figure out, um, although none of the streets have names, mm -hmm. and so directions are always by landmark. Like, you go down to the uh, Kambini, and then you take a left, and then you'll see a barn, and you take a right. When you get <laughs> past the cornfield or the That's right, enough, passing, you know, it's, it's amazing. Nowhere has a street name. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Name. Well, the streets have no names. Yes. Um, <laughs> okay, so... Um, I'm going to ask you okay. um, about social life. Okay. For a lot of young people, maybe younger people who are thinking of coming to Japan. Yeah. You've got this, like, you know, you're watching YouTube videos, you're watching um, you know, videos about you know, Tokyo and Osaka. Right. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's still mostly Tokyo. There's still yeah. not very many people making videos from Osaka. Um, uh, I don't know why, but... Um, you know, it, when you're thinking about like social life and nightlife, meeting people and not not just like foreigners, other other gaijin, just meeting right. people in general. How would you say like you know that that like being in a city, big city, bigger city, versus say a place like where you live now or where you have lived? Right. How would they compare? Well, okay. So there's a number of things. One, immediately, it's the language barrier. If you want to make non-foreign friends, your chances of meeting someone, say, in Kobe in a bar or club that speaks decent English are going to be much higher yes. than someone like that in, in a rural prefecture. Um, mm -hmm. I have to say that you won't, but um, so that means that the burden is upon you to learn Japanese. Um, the more you can speak Japanese, of course, the more you can make friends. That's one thing. Um, another thing is my prefecture, old prefecture of Shimane, um, had the effect that I'm sure has happened in Canada and lots of places in America too, where agriculture is the main thing, 
people, the kids grow up and don't want to be farmers, so they all leave and go to Osaka or Tokyo to have a job, especially at least in their 20s when they have a career and aren't married yet. Maybe they come back when they get married, but for those kind of 20s years, there's a very, very huge lack of that age group represented. So there's a lot of old people, literally like 28% of Shimane is over 60. And a fair amount of people under 20, you know, that you can't date for, you know, morality reasons, hopefully. And then <laughs> this huge part in the middle where for me, you know, when I was came over, I was 35. Anyone I met in my age group was pretty much, if they were living in Shimane in their 30s, they were married if they were a woman. You know, there was no other reason yeah. for them to be there. Um, mm. So it, it really is limiting in that sense. Uh, and then it's just, you know, availability of things to do. Um, if you're a young person and really enjoy, um, you know, bars, you know, there's always going to be bars. But bars, you know, as you probably know, are different um, in Japan. There's izikaya which are bars where it's almost like there's like private rooms and you sit on yeah. the tatami and so you go there with your friends and you drink it up and you have a great time but you're not sitting in an open environment where people will come up and say hey you know yeah, you're not going to be mingling yeah right and um and so there's you know bowling karaoke <laughs> you know there's a few stable you know pachinko that are in every small town, no matter what. But again, you know, they're not, it's, it's hard. It's hard to meet people. So a lot of the jets tend to end up being insular and yeah. they tend to, um, you know, hang out with each other because, you know, that they're the only people they can hang out with. But that's at first. And then hopefully, if you are more adventurous, you'll meet Japanese people who are always very, 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 willing to meet you there's whole clubs in inaka towns that want to like have foreigners come and chat or have dinner you know in a big group or tell them about their country or you know there's all kinds of ways to meet japanese people um you know sports or taiko groups you know playing the drums um yeah. bicycling jogging running whatever um so I shouldn't say that, you know, it's completely limited, but um, if you're a young person and going out and being like the nightlife is your thing, it, it, it's just not going to be happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, what would you say are some of the upsides of rural life? Um, the upsides are it's very, very, very safe. Yeah. I have never felt so safe. Um, in my entire life. I've never been harassed. I've never been, you know, confronted. I've obviously, you know, crime in general in, in Shimane, where I used to live, was, you know, I mean, so small, it was ridiculous. I can leave everything I own unlocked. Um, I walk through my university now, and kids will just leave their cell phone and their laptop and stuff on the table and leave and go to the bathroom for 10 minutes and come back. And, of course, it's all still there. Um, it, it's just a different mentality, and um, it's, it's great. Um, the pace is slower. You either get used to that and enjoy that, or it can, you know, obviously rub you the wrong way. Um, 
everyone is just super friendly. Um, I'd say 98% of the people I've met have been helpful if I've needed them to be and just uh, super nice to me. Um, I just feel like, you know, the benefits are, it's just a more authentic Japan in a way. Um, you can learn more about cultural things and um, the older people, obviously, that are the rock bed of a lot of rural communities really are still invested in traditions. Not to say that young people shun them. Young people embrace a lot of Japanese traditions wholeheartedly, but maybe they're too busy with their career or being single or being in their 20s, having fun to necessarily really, you know, take it up. And if you live in a rural town, even Kobe obviously has its big festivals and everything as well, yeah. but the people really um, get into it and um, enjoy them and are very willing to share it with you and explain what it's about and have you participate. And uh, it's just, if you're interested in Japanese culture, more so than just, you know, being in Japan, um, it, there's a lot of it to be had in the rural areas and everywhere is different. Everywhere in Japan is famous for something. Everywhere yeah. in Japan is, this is the best, this, you know, Izumo has the best soba in Japan and, you know, this place has the best oranges and this place has the best this and we're famous for this yeah. festival or, you know, so it, it, people always tell you like, Oh, this prefecture is famous. Okayama is so famous for its peaches. Yeah. But not even just Okayama. This portion of Okayama is so famous for this. Yeah. This, this area, you know, is, is famous for this type of soba, yeah. you know? People may say that, like, maybe that part of Shimano is famous for that kind of soba, but over here we have this different type of soba, very <laughs> famous, and people travel here for that, you know? Yeah, it's always, I'm always amazed with how things are so famous for. So Hyogoken, where you are, has uh, a very famous castle. Um, and then it has Kobe, and I think those are the two things that it's really well known for. Himeji Castle and Kobe. Yeah. And, of course, its proximity to Osaka makes it a really great place to live. I'm very jealous of where you live. Oh, I love, I love it. And, yeah. and I'm just – it's just by kind of coinciding the reason why I ended up landing here. It was just because um, my wife is from Osaka, mm -hmm. and when I was still in Canada job hunting, I landed a job in Akashi, which is – between Himeji and Kobe, actually. Okay. So it's 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 about I think I think it's about 25 kilometers to from Kobe to Osaka. Right. About 25 kilometers, roughly, from from Kobe to Okashi. Mm. So my wife just said, "Let's just get a place in between. Let's move to Kobe." Yeah. And uh, I mean, now I'm working in Osaka at the moment. Um, yeah. But uh, I'll be wrapping that up. In March, I'm going to be going back to being an international school teacher, and I'm going to be working in between Kobe and Osaka. Right. Yeah. So much um, of Japan is mountainous um, mm. and not really livable, and there's a huge mountain range called the San Sanin Mountains that divides Shimane from Hiroshima Ken, and then and later um, Kobe. Okay. And my my town was so rural that there wasn't even a tr you couldn't even get on a train and go from Izumo to Hiroshima. There, it couldn't, there was, you know, there's no pass through the mountains that allows that to happen. So you have to actually go like around, like into Okayama and then come around to Hiroshima, like a shoe. Really? Wow. Shoe. 
And so sometimes you can be quite isolated, um, which is a downside, but some jets embrace that and like that. Yeah, um, some people love that, yeah. Yeah. You think about, like, for example, uh, the Kurt Bells of the world. Mm. The Softy Papas, you know, or just, you know, the people who, who love the outdoors, people love camping and hiking. Mm. Um, to be honest, as I get older, I... I wish I didn't live in Kobe. I mean, I like it, but I want to, I mean, if I were to stay in Japan longer, I want to move somewhere more Inaka. Yeah. Because um, I grew up in the countryside. I grew up in the forest. I grew up hiking and camping and rummaging and foraging in the, in the woods. That's what I did as a child. And um, as the older I get, that's more what I want. And I, I want to be able, I mean, <laughs> my kids would want that, but that's what I want. Well, I'll tell you, I, I recently, in, in Christmas time, um, I went to Fukuoka, which is probably like the sixth or seventh biggest city in mm. Japan. Com comparable to Kobe. Yeah, it's on a different island. It's on Kyushu, but it's uh, very accessible by um, Shinkansen bullet train from Hiroshima. And uh, here are some of the things that I really was happy that I got to do when I was in Fukuoka that I can't do where I live now in the rural area. I got to go to a big bookstore that sells things in English. Mm. That was that made me really excited. I got to have um, an American style hamburger at a restaurant. I got to go to an IMAX movie theater mm. um, to see yeah. Gravity with Sandra Bullock and George Clooney. There are no IMAX movie theaters. There aren't very many movie theaters, period, in the Inaka, but definitely no IMAX ones. And I just got to be out at night around a lot of young people and a lot of interesting energy and uh, meet up with some people. And um, as a single person, I'm not married like you are. Uh, I think it really is in the next two or three years where I want to move. So I want to have that reverse experience to you where I've had my kind of quiet, small town existence. Now I want to go try the big city. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, on that note, um, Jason, yes. um, just looking at the time, I'm going to kind of wrap things up. How, how can people find you on the Internet? So if you're first time you've ever heard of me, um, hello, welcome. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm mainly known for YouTube videos about the JET program. So if you're interested in coming and living and working in Japan, uh, my main channel is, I'm going to spell it because it's a weird word, M-Y-A-R-G-O-N-A-U-T-S. My first name is Jason, so it's a play on Jason and the Argonauts, uh, my Argonauts. And um, that's been my home on YouTube. Uh, you, Kevin and I, I think, started around the same time, around 2006. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I started making videos really seriously in 2008, which doesn't seem that long ago. And when you think about it, it's six years ago. It's amazing that it's been that long. God, yeah, and, yeah. Um, <laughs> they're, kind of, they're kind of perennial videos because every year is a new application season for Jet. And I've got quite a few videos on there about how to apply, how to do the interview, how to pack when you want to come over, what to expect, uh, what's, what's it like being a teacher at this level school, that level school. And so those are well, well known. I also have an all sumo channel. My favorite thing on YouTube, uh, in Japan culturally is the sport of sumo. And that's at Jason's, J-A-S-O-N-S. I-N-J-A-P-A-N, Jason's in Japan. And, uh, yeah, and then, you know, I'm on Twitter and Facebook, all the normal stuff. All the links are on YouTube. And, uh, you know, I just, 
I I'll actually, I'll actually put all those notes. Uh, uh, oh, actually, yeah. I'm, I'm Um I will actually put all, and I'll, I'll mention this later on the show. But I'll put all those. I'll put all your links, all your info, in the show notes. Okay. Which and is the new thing I just, I just put up today. So yeah. Yeah. Basically, I guess I should just um, say that um, you know when 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 you and I first started, there was very little. Uh, being made about certain subjects in Japan, for example, there weren't that many people blogging from the Inaka. Like you said, a lot of it was from Tokyo, like uh, Tokyo Kuni, and yeah. uh, some of the big godfathers of of, uh, of video, uh, JLAN video, as it were. Um, and uh, now everybody's doing it, so I don't make as much as I used to, but I still am. I make two or three videos a month, and I love YouTube, and I love the people that I've met through it, like Kevin. Kevin's an amazing guy. Thanks. Yeah. And PJ and Hiko and uh, Victor, all those people. Um, we have a great community here, and if you come to Japan, please join us. And uh, I, it's great to be on the podcast. I wish you luck with it. Thank you so much. It's been it's it's well. I mean, this is episode number two you're on, but so yeah. far it's been a good a, a good little ride. <laughs> so hopefully uh, we can get some people to come over and listen and uh, absolutely enjoy it. All right, cool. Well, thank you so much, Jason, and um, um, there we go. Okay, well, thank you for listening to that wonderful interview with Jason, and I hope you really enjoyed it. He definitely knows this stuff, and he's got a very interesting channel, too, of course. So the links will be in the show notes, but go to um, youtube.com slash myargonauts to find his uh, great channel um, <clears throat> about living in Japan. And um, I also want to mention that, uh, of course, you know, like I said the show notes are now at boostonkevin.com. You can, of course, find me at jlankev on Twitter. Um, I'll also have a link to my Facebook page uh, in the show notes. Um, now, I did mention that if you do want to ask me questions, you can send questions to boostonkevin at gmail.com. And I did get one uh, question for the mailbag, and this comes from Kevin. And Kevin was asking, yes, another Kevin, he said, uh, this might be a difficult question for me to answer, and it kind of is, but I'll try my best. Um, he was wondering about how non-native English speakers find opportunities in Japan, people that are fluent in English but couldn't teach it and also don't have the credentials for a specific field. Um, the reason for this question is that he mostly sees native speakers only on job sites and such. Um, yeah, so that's a very general question. Opportunities. I mean, there, there are a lot of opportunities in Japan. I really, of course, only know about the teaching field because that's I've worked in the education industry the entire time I've been here. Um, and I, there are definitely job opportunities for non-native English speakers. And I've made videos about this before on YouTube. I have worked with a, a wide variety of people who come from non-native English-speaking countries. Um, I've worked with... Um, you know, people who are from uh, Sweden and Finland, and I've worked with people who are from uh, Nigeria, I've worked with people who are from uh, Ghana, I've worked with people who are from um, the Philippines, I've worked with people who are Chinese, I've worked with people who are from uh, Thailand, I've worked with people who are from Malaysia, uh, Singapore, I've worked with a wide variety of people in the English teaching industry. They've worked at international schools, they've worked as alts or ALTs in public schools, so it is possible. Now mind you, the people I've worked with have had the credentials, they have had a university degree, which is normally what you need in order to get um, a proper teaching visa, and that's just simply because that's the law, that's, I mean, that's the, the rules that J Japanese immigration have in place. Um, now, 
I have met people too who have also worked as teachers who didn't have a university degree, but they were here on a spousal visa, so they had a Japanese spouse. And because of the fact that they had a Japanese spouse, they were able to legally work in Japan. Now, it was more challenging for them to find a teaching job because often schools want someone who does have a degree, but they were able to get work being a teacher. Um, I've heard of people coming on cultural visas. So basically, they come to study something like ikebana or uh, kendo or some kind of martial art or uh, you know calligraphy or something like that. What that cultural visa allows them to do is work part-time 20 hours a week maybe, you're 27. And through that time, they're able to build up a resume, they're able to make connections, and um, once that cultural visa had kind of expired, they were able to turn the work experience they had into some kind of other work opportunity. I've also met people who come here as language students to do the same thing. Now, at the same time, I did have a friend several years ago who was from uh, Europe, and English was his second language. His, his first language was French, and his English honestly wasn't very strong. And he ended up finding himself working in a, in a warehouse, um, and also, uh, I think, in a hotel as well. Um, and he was here on a spousal visa, so he did have that visa. So it's very difficult. So it's, it is a difficult question for me to answer, especially since really um, my, my background is only in the education industry. What I suggest you do, though, for those of you who are really, if you're seriously interested in coming to work in Japan, do the research. And I, I don't, I'm going to kind of like, I'm not passing the buck. This is um, giving some kind of wise advice. Um, don't just rely on a vlogger, a video blogger, or a blogger, or a podcaster. Um, for the expert information, go to the source itself. You need to do the research on the Japanese embassy website in your country or go to the actual official websites of the immigration department and find out what the immigration rules are and find out if you do qualify to come and work. Send an email to the Japanese embassy closest to where you live. Explain to them very honestly your situation, your credentials, what you have, your education background, your work background, and see if you qualify for a visa. Um, that's Those are the people to talk to um, because they know best. Well, there we go. Um, that is episode two of the Just Japan podcast. I want to thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Um, the show notes are on BusanKevin.com. You can go there and check out um, the links to Jason's uh, YouTube channel and where he is on the internet. And also, um, there's going to be a link there to uh, some of the stories about the, the weather that we had in Japan over the past week. So I want to, again, thank you for listening. You can find me at JLandKev on Twitter. And you can also find me on YouTube at Busan Kevin. And remember, all the show notes are at BusanKevin.com. Thank you for listening, and I'll be talking to you next week. Mm-hmm.